public hearings in 22 months since Trump supporters stormed the Capitol on January 6th. And their goal was to stop the certification of Joseph Biden as president of the United States. And I, like many others, weren't super surprised to see it. Months before the election, a Biden for president bus was traveling on the highway in Texas and Trump supporters decided that they were going to run it off the road. A black man decided to go to a Trump rally and while walking out, a white man punched him in the head, literally blindsiding him. And Trump's response to the crowd was to tell them he would pay for his legal fees. You know, four years of dog whistles, stand back and stand by, shithole countries, kids in cages, arguments over the national anthem with NFL players. Mexicans are only rapists, killers, and gangbangers. Yeah, Candace Owens and Kanye West really gave us the precursors to January 6th. Our democracy, though, for real, y'all, is under attack. And I quote our democracy because it's time for us to take ownership of it. When I started Citizen the Pod, I wanted to focus our attention on the power of the vote and our collective action. Y'all, I was a registered to vote cheerleader, okay? But Trump's rhetoric was just too scary to me. See, like many, I comfortably live in my progressive eco chamber and I am reinforced by my own values every day by listening to my favorite thought leaders, podcast hosts, as they discuss the state of the union and they have the same level of disgust and negative vibes as I do. But I decided in 2019, after really just beginning my journey as an entrepreneur, that I could not sit on the sidelines for 2020. It was that important. And I didn't feel like I was doing enough. You know that phrase, don't talk about it, be about it? Well, I did exactly that and got to it. I got a job in what most folks call vote world, and I got to see another side of the game. Um, I spent the beginning of my career in partisan politics, battling it out, and I was, you know, lucky enough to win some, but now I get an opportunity to work with what I call democracy defenders. At the end of the day, partisans want power, they want their name and lights, there are winners and there are losers, but we've got to be strong on both sides of the apparatus. And we've got to fight from both fronts in order to get the things that we need from this country. So democracy defenders are nonpartisan organizers. They're poll watchers. They're the people who take the time to take civil service jobs to administer our elections. They're civil rights attorneys. They're hotline volunteers. Um, And those are the folks that keep this democracy thing really going. They bridge the gap between those running our voting infrastructure, right? The folks that actually go and set up the machines and make sure we have enough ballots. And also ensure that the laws that are written to give us access are adhered to. And for them, it's really all about making sure all of us get access to that ballot. 
And I dubbed them democracy's essential workers. So after spending time on the other side, reading some books, of course, um, actually listening to them because I'm an audible free and meeting, you know, some folks that I really look up to, Bernie Sanders and AOC in the meantime, I just had a new message to tell. And I hope that that message resonates through this new era of Citizen the Pod. So like any bad relationship, first I had to realize I was in it. I had to go through stages of grief because it was time to let it go. And I had to, with strength, walk out on the other side. And I broke up with the American dream. You know the story. If you pick yourself up by your bootstraps, anything is possible. The world is yours. But the simplicity of that statement is a lie. The country is complicated and casting a ballot isn't the great equalizer for our communities of color. If we all just voted, we could save America. But that's just simply not true. Since the expansion of voter access during COVID-19, we've seen that Republicans have successfully rolled those back in some sense, all under the guise of election integrity. And let's not even get into the damage of redistricting and conservative Trump judicial appointees. So the goalposts will continue to move back. And if we don't fight on multiple fronts, and I haven't even included building communities of color economically and education, but we know that government is not the answer. But as citizens, it is our duty to fight for our shared piece of the pie, the opportunity to live free from discrimination, police brutality, and just get quality access to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So I'm excited to introduce Argue With Your Mama, Not Me, a Citizen the Pod miniseries as we get closer to the November 8th midterm. And hopefully you will get something out of it. And so will I. So on today's show, I'm joined by my business partners, Black Box Political Consulting. We are a consulting firm, specializing in campaign management, fundraising, advocacy, uh, compliance, government relations. So let's get spicy and jump into my conversation. Welcome to the first episode of Argue With Your Mama, Not Me. Yes, every time I say the title of this podcast, I'm going to say it just like that. So I'm going to repeat this one more time for everybody that's listening, for everybody in the back. Welcome to the very first episode of a Citizen the Pod miniseries called Argue With Your Mama, Not Me. I am so excited to be back on the mic. Well, I'm not really on the mic because it's virtual, but y'all get what I'm saying. And I have two really awesome guests here with me. So I told y'all in the first segment that I was going to be joined by my Black Box political consulting firm colleagues. So I'm so excited to introduce y'all to them. This is their first time on the pod. They have not been on any other season. And I'm excited to have a conversation with them about some real spicy stuff today. So first, I'm going to turn it right over to my girl, Kartika, to introduce herself. 
Hi, uh, I'm Kartika. I'm one of the principal consultants for Black Box Political Consulting Firm. Um, and I'm really excited to share my thoughts on these great topics that we have today. And I'm going to slide it over to Dejan. John, principal consultant at Black Box. I'm really excited to be here. I'm going to be playing a bit of devil's advocate because I think we all agree. So look out for that. That's good because I really know you actually agree with us, but you got to do what you got to do. Like, you know, you already know that you got a spicy personality. So kick it up for my listeners. Um, all right. So we're going to jump right into this. So I'm going to start this episode with a quote from my favorite, the most viral rapper, Boozy Badass. And I quote, you gives no fucks about how black people, how blacks have died and suffered to the hands of white men. And you say Bush don't like black people? Really, nigga? Yes. That's a quote from the one and only Boozy Badass. Um, but first, we're going to hop right into a, a little conversation, though, before we get to Boozy, because, you know, he keeps it spicy and sets things on fire. Well, I guess it's, it's definitely fitting in for me to turn it over, turn this conversation over to Jeffrey Dahmer. So listen, I've been watching and obsessed with Netflix's release of Jeffrey Dahmer. I had no clue uh, about this case or the background of this story, but the minute I turned it on, I was obsessed. So, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer is now one of the most watched shows on Netflix. And before it aired, again, I did not know much about it, but I'm here to get everybody's opinion on the case, white supremacy, um, the beginning of the AIDS epidemic in the 80s and how people, you know, the cops were standoffish about even talking to people about gayness and felt that they were something was going <laughs> to jump off and catch them or bite them they was going to get the gay bug or something but you know and then again on the show it was clear that black people voices were completely ignored not taken seriously while the man is literally in the apartment next door sawing somebody apart and they're yelling and screaming so what are y'all thoughts on this Jeffrey Dahmer case? I know that a lot of people have a lot of opinions about even telling this story. What do y'all think? Kartika? I was gonna go because Dejan will stare me down. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess my my thoughts are just kind of like, I, so I didn't just, full disclosure, I didn't watch the series because I'm fully aware with the ca uh, of the case and I didn't watch it with the intent of that. I, like, I don't need to see or have watched this being played out of Black lives being lost in any form um, and Black gay lives specifically. And I think, you know, during this time that this was happening, right, it was a time in which folks were afraid of gay people because they said this was the gay disease, right? Mm -hmm. And then- on top of that, they were black. So they were black and they were gay. No one cared. Um, and it gave them a reason to be kind of uh, dismissive. Um, but also, I mean, everything is rooted in white supremacy. So the fact that they ignored um, people going missing, the fact that they ignored um, the neighbors making numerous complaints, um, the fact that they ignored, you know, the black voice calling and saying there is something wrong. There's a foul odor. There's people screaming. I've seen most people go out and don't, they don't come back. Like the fact that all of that was completely ignored is not surprising because it still happens in modern day, even outside of scenarios like that. Right. Like here in Buffalo, how many people have gone missing or how many people have died in the past six months due to domestic violence after having numerous complaints to police? 
like this is not uncommon right black folks i remember the god rest her soul the young lady that died um this past week right put up a post on facebook and saying like why am i calling the police for help when they're not going to help me and i've been calling them numerous times saying like something is wrong and they're basically ignoring her and only to post that and then within a week you know be murdered by her abuser so you know are we really in a post era of that no there's a continuation of that it just changes forms and changes you know areas but definitely you know the ignoring of black women specifically you know has been detrimental to (laughs) multiple generations and multiple ethnic groups and people of different backgrounds right Well, hard to follow that. <laughs> Largely agree. First off, Keena, you're not low mentioning Boosie. If my son was gay, I'd hire a prostitute to turn a straight badass to segue into a show about a white man killing black gay men. Uh, Boosie might as well be right up there with Dahmer as homophobic as he is. Um, agree. I agree with everything that Kartika said. Uh, related to just ignoring Black queer lives as well as Black women when they're trying to rectify some wrong. I think that show really exemplified how white folks uh, use their privilege to cover up their misdeeds. I mean, I I recently just watched episode one and watched, it was kind of uncomfortable to see how how easily Jeffrey Dahmer let in the cops to tour his uh, apartment after he had just attempted murder on a black queer man and felt comfortable enough to walk them around and use gay images as a means of misdirecting their attention. Um, Again, I think that really just highlights what Kartika has already pointed out. Um, I'll leave it at that for now. We don't have to just schedule a whole nother episode just to talk about Boozy (laughs) and and how problematic he is. Um, but okay, um, you know, I, I agree with both of y'all there too. Um, one quick thing that I wanted to mention to y'all is I've heard that they're attempting to go after bail reform in lieu of this young man um, being let out after he got arrested uh, for domestic violence. So I don't know if this is a rumor. I don't know if this was in a paper, but we all know that's bullshit, but I wanted to hear if y'all have any opinion on that. Yeah, that's so that is real. They're definitely they have been for a while trying to go after different things. Um, the the multiple thefts that were happening and break-ins for cars that happened over this summer and last summer, they've been trying to attack bail reform. And um, I think I think a lot of folks um are open to some modifications like domestic violence. Um only because of it's a, it's typically a safety for the victim. And so, you know, but also just reminding folks that bail reform also includes um, judiciary discretion. So if the judge thinks this person is a harm to society, even though these it, bail reform is in place and that they could be let go with the appearance ticket or could be early release, they don't have to sit in uh, for longer periods of time, the judge could say still, hey, this person is actually a danger to the victim. We think he may go off and harm them and they can actually not give them, um, they cannot let them post bail. So I think instead of looking at bail reform, we still need to be holding judges accountable in these instances as well. So I think it's, uh, oh, well, Miles just joined I love to hear Miles' perspective on bail reform and 
in particular, uh, how law enforcement handles domestic violence or intimate partner violence calls. Um, it is my understanding that in, in New York State, there is a mandatory arrest uh, requirement in cases of domestic violence where there is other offenses like harassment, assault, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know the details of the case in Buffalo and why they're using uh, that case to highlight the flaws or alleged flaws in uh, bail reform. But I'd be very interested to see whether or to, to learn whether this gentleman or the alleged uh, murderer was uh, arrested when the now deceased victim uh, reached out to law enforcement previously. Um, I'd love to know the, the circumstances because it could be, and again, I don't know much about the case, it could be that they just failed to abide by what they should have done, which is something we see often uh, with policing in this country. My name is Miles Gresham. I am a principal consultant, legal counsel at Black Box Political Consulting. Hi, everybody. Um, sorry, I'm late. I, I thought we were uh, doing this at, at seven. Um, so yeah, Dijon, I'm not. I'm not. I just jumped on, so I'm not quite sure the case that you're talking about. But uh, generally, in 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 New York State. Um, it's not a mandatory arrest, but y the police have discretion to arrest someone uh, anytime there's a domestic violence case. Yeah, um, they, they can arrest. They don't have to give an appearance ticket, which is something that they they have to do for uh, lower level offenses. Um, but they can make a custodial arrest um, in any domestic violence case. And also um, with respect to bail, um, if you anytime there's a domestic violence allegation, there's almost always an order of protection, a temporary order of protection filed. If the defendant violates that order of protection, um, then they can be held um, and cash bail can be uh, can be put on them. Um, so that's the context of kind of what the rules are, but I'm not sure of the particulars of this case if you want to run them by me um, or not, that's okay too. No, much like you, I don't know the particulars, but. Uh, to be clear, there, there actually is a mandatory uh, arrest law related to domestic violence. And I only know that because I recently went through a specific training with RPD going over that law. So where there is a uh, cause to believe that there was a misdemeanor or felony, uh, when responding to a call of domestic violence, the officers who respond must make a mandatory arrest. Uh, but again, I don't know. Was that for a felony, did you say? misdemeanor or felony. So it, it, it's far reaching. It could be as low as harassment and as high as assault or a robbery uh, that would give grounds for mandatory arrest. Well, harassment's not a, harassment's a violation. So I don't. Yeah, well, harassment, I think uh, some of the higher degrees are a misdemeanor. It has to be like a higher degree of harassment though, not like violation level, yeah. right? Okay. That's right, yeah. Well, thank you, all of you, for chiming in on that subject. We're going to keep it moving because y'all know I got a long list and I already sent you all the scripts, so we're going to keep this thing buzzing. But, um, you know, we talked a little bit about white supremacy and how, you know, cops were not taking Black voices seriously during that Jeffrey Dahmer case. And we're gonna just quick pivot real quick to discuss y'all's boy, Kanye West. Um, he broke the internet again this week, doing what he does best, 
pandering to white people um, at the expense of black lives. So what say you on the Kanye West White Lives Matter t-shirt? I just have to say this because I, yeah, I just have to. Um, I don't necessarily trust anything that Kanye does at this point, like that it's not for publicity and it's often at the expense of our own people. Um, and I don't really care to argue or to understand, you know, why he did it. Oh, well, I was just letting him know, like, we know white lives, like, we don't have to even go through this. We know white lives matter. Like, that's not a, that's not a thing. Like, we don't have to talk about it. Um, but I think that's a really important point that a lot of people keep talking about. It's his mental illness issues. And I just want to make it very, I just want to make it very, having mental illness issues don't make you racist or don't make you prejudiced or don't allow you to misalign yourself in this way, right? Um, you know, because they try and use that a lot of times when white supremacists are going to jail for these terrorist attacks that they do, right? He was mentally ill and he was, no, this is not your mental illness. You're just an asshole. Like, and that could that could just be okay. Like, if that's who you are, that's fine. If he, if this is who he's becoming, it, hell, him and Candace Owens might go and get married after this. That might all be, and that would be all well and fine with me. But if this is the person that he's showing us to be, that this is who he is, allow him to be that person. It may be disappointing. It may be gut-wrenching and it may hurt because he's a member of the culture. And I think he's impacted my life personally and a lot of other black lives um, because of all that he's produced and given to you know our culture. But we also have to call a spade a spade. And I think he fucked up on this one. I know we got some other comments. What's up, Dejan or Miles? Uh, I guess I'll reply in my easy uh, ensemble here. <laughs> uh, first and foremost, you can never really tell what Kanye is up to. On the one hand, he puts out this stupid White Lives Matter t-shirt. On the other hand, he's starting to open uh, brick and mortar uh, storefronts that are exclusively owned by Black people. So he's promoting to white audiences, but taking all this money to the white, to the Black folks, which is a bit confusing because he's sending one message and doing something else behind the scenes. Um, can everyone hear me? Good. Um, so I'm not clear on what Mr. West's motive is. Uh, haven't been for a while. I think it's it's a bit dismissive to say that uh, some of his actions are not the result of his mental illness. When we know that for some mental illnesses, there is a higher likelihood of obsessing over asinine ideas. Like it's it's actually pretty common amongst people with mental illness. There's a reason, and not to insult religion, but there is a reason why folks who are like bipolar or schizophrenia tend to turn deeper inward spiritually or religiously uh, to find reason and to justify their actions. Uh, but that's not to say that, of course, there's something inherently flawed with being religious or that it justifies their behavior. I just think that we need to be a bit more um, understanding and, and come with I think a degree of empathy, like even as we, if I pivot back to Jeffrey Dahmer real quick, uh, as I was watching the show, like that man was clearly bothered, right? His actions were abhorrent. They were clearly wrong, but something was also wrong with him. So I'm not gonna say that mental health doesn't come with some of these more negative effects. I'll leave it there for now. 
Kartika, do you have any rebuttals for Dejan or you think that, you know, he, he made a valid point? I mean, yes, with certain mental illnesses, speaking on that in particular, like, yes, with certain mental illnesses, um, they, they can become asphyxiated on certain ideologies and kind of like go down a rabbit hole with that. And I think that that's actually a part of, bi- you know, him being a bipolar. Um, but I'll definitely, um, and I agree with that. And I think he kind of has his manics, right? And you can kind of, you kind of saw him losing control with the whole Kim thing and, and his fighting with celebrities and just going on these rants of things that like we didn't need to talk about, right? Um, the same person who, you know, put this, his queen, as he called, her on a pedestal for 10 years and then starts attacking her. And it's just like, well, I mean, you married her, you had four kids with her, like she left you, you didn't leave her, right? And now she's a terrible person. I think um, him kind of just spiraling with that and, 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 and you know, I think um, I, ironically enough, his mother being who she was and being so like pro-Black um, and how he clings to the love and the memory of his mother, but does the exact opposite of what she would have stood for i've been i've been i've been really interested in like wanting to know how how and if this is any way connected like am i purposely being a letdown of someone that i admire because i feel like i'll never be good enough now that she's not here or like is that causing a spiral is that is he internalizing some of those issues as well causing to his actions so i'm really interested in i'm, I'm just i'm intrigued by him uh, i'm not supporting i'm condoning what he's doing but i i am intrigued by all these been uh, displaying. I'll put it that way. Can y'all hear me now? Sure can. Yeah, yeah. that's better. Okay. Um, we're still talking about Kanye. Yes. That's ridiculousness. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I so like I was I was trying to say like and, and Kartika said this like you know obviously white lives matter. The reason that there's a Black Lives Matter movement is because white people don't get murdered by the police as a matter of routine. And when white people are killed by the police, there are generally consequences if the use of force was inappropriate, right? Um, just to kind of, you know, I know we all know that, but just to clarify for our listeners, right? So like, but the thing is, Kanye is um, a provocateur, right? And uh, the, the left for all of its benefits, one of the things that, the trap that we have kind of fallen into in the last 10 years is being really overly sensitive about language. Um, And it's almost gotten to the point where even though it's the right that is uh, literally banning books and, and taking away women's bodily autonomy in states that they control, the left is seen as the side that is, um, overly sensitive, decide that will, you know, protest someone coming to campus instead of like allowing them to speak in the, you know, under the name of free speech or whatever. And, and so I think there's a lot of room for an artist like Kanye to play with that and to get under people's skin and to get publicity very easily. Whereas if we were a culture that just kind of ignored it and said, okay, whatever, um, you know, we probably, maybe you wouldn't be doing those things. Um, but the other thing is that, you know, and we see this, um, whenever black people, um, you know, go up the ladder in terms of uh, material wealth and in terms of ingratiation with, you know, um, uh, wealthy white society, 
um, they almost fall over themselves to talk about how much they love white folks, right? I mean, that's that's what they do. I mean, look at our look at look at our our, our you know our political leaders, right? Very few of them are the ones like standing up and, and trying to change things in terms of how police treat black people, right? Or or you know try to move any kind of policy in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement, right? It's it's almost um, there's a there's a penalty when you get to a certain level. Um, in our society as a black person um, and and don't go out of your way to make white people feel comfortable. Yeah. And so I think maybe, you know, someone like Kanye, um, who has been in that world for so long, um, might be, you know, dealing with that compounded with his very obvious um, mental health issues. Um, but really, like, I don't I don't really care. I don't really care about Kanye West. I don't care about Candace Owens. I haven't really cared about um any of his musical output uh since like Jesus so that's fine like he can do what he wants to do um and you know there will always be black folks who want to um show how much you know and, and there's also there's a there's a market for that right like if any if you're an intelligent black person and you can't get in with the sort of black intelligentsia there's always a room there's always room for you to go to the other side and be like a token you know and and so you know He's he's playing, I think, with that and with with the sort of um, sensitivity over language that we have on the left in our society. And it is what it is. All right. Well, thank you for keeping it so spicy, because you're right. We should not care at this what? point. We should not. But you have to pivot on that. I mean, I am about to pivot on that because we don't have all day. We need to have, clearly we need to have a Black Lives Matter episode. We need to have, because he definitely called, said Black Lives Matter is bullshit and a scam. And, you know, there are some, listen, I'm not going to get into that because we need to go keep going because we're talking about token Negroes and Herschel Walker is definitely one down in Georgia. And we might as well pivot to the fact that this man paid for his abortions, but wants to outright ban abortion if he was to ever get to the New York, to the Senate. Like the man is crazy. His, his son went on a rant, but let, let me just let me just talk a little bit about this. So last week, um, the Daily Beast reported with receipts that Herschel Walker, um, he's a formal football player in Georgia. Anybody know what college he played for, Georgia State? He played, uh, listen, somebody Google it for me, come back, let me know so we can tell our people the, the right place. But he's a former football player in Georgia. He's actually dumb as a box of rocks. Um, he cannot, he does not ever get on TV and really speak in coherent sentences. He repeats what he's heard on Fox News. He repeats what Donald Trump told him to say before he started. So, you know, they went down there, Trump went down there to Georgia, found him a token Negro and decided he was going to run him against another well-educated Black man, pastor of Martin Luther King Jr.'s church, um, Senator Raphael Warnock, um, who is, you know, clearly... And I won't say clearly because some, you know, listen, Black people are not a monolith. We all don't agree on 
all topics on all social topics. We definitely have, there are a lot of religious black people who are against abortion um, of any kind. However, he, to me, answered the question the way I wanted to hear it in regards to abortion. He doesn't plan to go to the Senate and abolish abortion, even though he's a, pa he's a pastor. So, you know, I want to get all of y'all's opinion on Herschel Walker, um, the fact that he got receipts for paying for this abortion, and just the idea that they could not find a better Republican candidate out of Georgia. Like, there are very smart Black people in Georgia. Like, tons hbcus down there and you mean to tell me you couldn't find not one intelligent black man in georgia like literally the mecca of blackness at this point in this country you couldn't find one smart black republican to run you went and found the dumbest one and thought name recognition was going to get you there any i'm appalled any thoughts on that uh, for clarity, he did play for the cowboys vikings eagles giants and then retired playing for the cowboys Again, CTE has kicked in. Well, let me stop. It, 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 it's, I mean, he, he said he wasn't smart. He told us. He said it. I'm not smart. He's giving Trump. Like, I know I ain't the smartest, but shit, I'm going to do it. I mean, that's what we're getting from him. And the fact that, like, his son kind of had to come out and a lot of people attacked his son, which, you know, I'm not a fan of Christians, but I agreed with him, you know, when he, when he was, you know, going on his spiel about, you know, I talk about these things. I wasn't hiding these things. I didn't blatantly say my father did X, but the reason why I talk about, you know, you know, uh, family abandonment and, and, and issues with, you know, fatherhood abandonment is because I experienced that and I knew me and my mother could have been ended this, right? But for the sake of what we thought we wanted politically or what we thought we could have had and kind of having that end, as we talked about a little bit earlier, right? Like you, you, the other side will always accept you. So this is where we stand. And now they have accepted us. And now we have the chance to climb this ladder politically only for it to backfire because your dad is a literal idiot, but also didn't think about repercussions of his history coming up. And you know, when it comes to politics, as we have seen before in local, state, and federal politics, um, they will find receipts on you as many as they can on anything they can and run with it. Yeah, I mean, conservatives, have kind of a history though of not finding the smartest black people to represent black people that's kind of a part of their agenda right they don't want someone who's too smart they want someone that they can manipulate and control um but we also have to remember that you know generally republicans um it, it stopped being about intelligence with them a long time ago right i mean they they voted for george w bush because he was a guy that you could have a beer with right i mean like it, anti-intellectualism runs strong um, in, in this country on both sides, but but particularly on the right. And so I think, you know, Herschel Walker is exactly the kind of person that they want. Plus, um, they get to say, oh, I voted for a Black person, right? Uh, one of the reasons that these uh, tokens are so important to the right, and you'll see, I mean, you look at, look at the the, the head of the Proud Boys, right? He's a he's a brown Hispanic man, right? They they want people like this because if you have black and brown, usually men, but you know you also have uh, uh, pick me's like Candace Owens. If you have these people, right, it becomes they're like shields, right? Whenever you say, oh, these people are racist, these people are evil, well, they can hold up, you know, Herschel Walker or Candace Owens or Kanye West and say, oh, no, look, or, or the, the head of the Proud Boys and say, oh, no, look, you know, we have people of color 
on our side too. And, and when, when the left doesn't engage with them because it's exhausting too, but when we don't, when we don't raise those like nuances, um, again, we look crazy, right? Because, you know, we're shouting about, you know, racism and here they are, you know, voting for, for black senators, right? So in their minds, how could they be racist, right? How could there be a problem? So, you know, Herschel Walker is exactly the kind of person that uh, Republicans want. Um, and I think that's, that's why um, they're running with them. They don't want intelligent black people, um, you know, because that, that would be, uh, they would be harder to manipulate and, and to control um, generally, I'm sure that there are some intelligent black Republicans that they could have gone with. Um, but again, um, anti-intellectualism is generally the vibe um, on the right. And so black or white, you know, whether we're talking about um, uh, Louis Gohmert or, you know, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene or, you know, Herschel Walker, I mean, Sarah Palin, George W. Bush, like the people who rise to the top in that party um, are generally um, not the smartest and haven't been for a while because it's not about intelligence. Intelligence suggests and reason suggests that, you know, you don't ban abortions, that you don't ban books. Um, that's not what they're about. They are about authoritarianism and, you know, a certain amount of, of, of uh, idiocy um, is, is always helpful um, when you're trying to advance stuff like that. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to say on this because I just don't think Herschel Walker is worthy of conversation. He's up against a Morehouse man that went to Union Theological Seminary at Columbia University, who is one of the most well-respected senators in the U.S. Senate as it stands today. He is one of the reasons we got a bipartisan infrastructure uh, bill passed by siding with, of all people, Ted Cruz on an amendment that ultimately led to its passage. I think it's a, it's a disrespect to his legacy and his time and to our time to even spend one iota of time on Herschel Walker. Uh, but that's where I stand on that. <laughs> I will say, however, that the idiocy that uh, my good friend Miles spoke on greatly exists on the left as well as just a bit more polished. I mean, you got folks like Sleepy Joe up in office who's not the brightest president in the world. Uh, you had Obama, who was brilliant, but who had to play the same type of politics. I mean, when we saw that man sit with, uh, I forget the name, of the, the Harvard professor and grab a beer with the white security uh, officer, he was doing the same sort of down-to-earth politics that George W. Bush was famous for. And that same dumbed-down level of politics led to, I think, the election of Donald Trump and sort of led us to the moment that we're in today. So I don't want to just solely point at the right, like, hey, you idiots are breaking down our country. It's, it's a right and a left thing, really. Well, I would, I would agree. I would say, though, that, you know, Joe Biden, with decades as a senator in Delaware, is a little bit, has a little bit more of an intellectual pedigree than someone like, like Donald Trump. But again, this is who we have to compete against, right? And so for all of us, you know, uh, I mean, it's like, if you, if you lose to stupid people, how smart are you, right? That's kind of my question. And so, you know, for all of our, our you know, intelligence and accolades um, within, you know, the progressive uh, 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 side of things, we are losing to idiots like constantly. And so, and so, and this is, you know, for decades now. And so at some point, I think we have to acknowledge that like, you know, maybe the people that we are trying to get to vote for us, we're missing them. 
you know, and there's something about that sort of like fundamental humanity that Republicans understand about their constituents and, and that Democrats really don't or haven't acknowledged. Um, and that's why, um, you know, we, the fact that the fact that Herschel Walker even has a chance against someone with a pedigree like Warnock's, um, I think, speaks to um, um, how, how, how badly um, intellectuals are, are losing in this country. Well, I'm going to chime in here because um, I think, uh, you know, Republicans at this point, I feel like they're trying to keep it real. I think everything that you all said is correct, but I'm going to let you listen to Dana Loesch. She's the former NRA chairman, I believe, and it's her thoughts on Hersha Walker. So does this change anything? I, I mean, do you want my opinion? Not a damn thing. How many times have I said four very important words? These four words. Winning is a virtue. What I'm about to say is in no means a contradiction or a compromise of a principle. And please keep in mind that I am concerned about one thing and one thing only at this point. So I don't care if Herschel Walker paid to abort endangered baby eagles. I want control of the Senate. If the Daily Beast story is true, you're telling me Walker used his money to reportedly pay some skank for an abortion and Warnock wants to use all of our monies to pay a whole bunch of skanks for abortions. And yes, when they're used predominantly over 99% of birth control and it's my taxpayer dollars, you have invited me up in your business and I will use whatever descript I would like to. Thank you. So, you know, Dana kept it 100. She, she basically told us, look, it's about winning. It's about maintaining control of the Senate. It's about making sure that skanks, Black people, um, other people of color uh, don't get the necessities they need when they need it. But, you know, rich people, as long as you can pay for it and fund it, you can get access to whatever it is that you want. Like she kept it 100. Any thoughts on Dana? I think that kind of single-minded determination is really what the left and what Democrats have been lacking. I'm not saying that we should be like her, but I mean, I think about, you know, us getting rid of Al Franken, right? Mm -hmm. And like the low, you know, just the, you know, and then, and then meanwhile, um, Republicans, um, uh, you know, Donald Trump and his, his escapades, right? Matt Getz and, and you know, him, uh, you know, paying for, or allegedly paying for an, uh, you know, an underage girl, um, you know, to, to, to travel to sleep with. I mean, they don't care because for them, winning is the virtue, right? Winning is the point. Once you win, they can impose their will on the country. And that's something that Democrats, I, I wish that we, I wish that we thought like that because it would be, it would make our jobs so much easier. Um, but we have to always, you know, go through all this virtue signaling bullshit um, with everybody and, you know, all these platitudes and all this, you know, sort of like Facebook morality that we are subject to. And that I think 
is is a, a big part of the anti-intellectualism on the left. All right, um, that kind of gets in our way um, of of winning and of and, and of you know um, shaping this country in the way that that we want it shaped. So um, I, I don't agree with Dana on 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 uh, Herschel Walker, but in terms of how she thinks about winning, um, I wish more of us were there. Dejan, you had a few words, or he said it for you. No, he, he absolutely said it. <laughs> I think Democrats need to get better at winning and in particular really need to focus on how they drive narratives in the media. I know, um, you know, related to the Herschel Walker thing, there was all this uproar after the, um, the decision to overturn Roe that just kind of completely died over time. And Democrats did a terrible job at keeping up that anger amongst uh, women voters uh, that really could have driven uh, their party to not only be in the lead leading up to this midterm, but damn near guaranteed to win the Senate and maintain the House. They just don't seem to be focused on winning to the same degree that Republicans. And in order for this country, I think, to be steered in a better direction, they really need to be concerned uh, in the same way that uh, that woman suggested. So I, I would argue that because Roe is clearly one of the topics I wanted to end this podcast on and I wanted to discuss, you know, um, Democrats' chances to do better in this midterm than we expected because of Roe. But I think the issue is that we, the American people has the literally the attention span of like a two-year-old. And if this decision was made today, we would be coasting into the midterm probably for a win because it'd be 30 days after. But the fact that it was in May, we had all this nonsense happen through, you know, since then. I mean, I just feel like who, I just feel like it, it would have been difficult. Like you said, it, messaging for the Democrats has always been off. Um, they've never been able to really keep steam or figure out what's the right message to really rock, rattle the base. Um, and, you know, the message for the last election was Trump was trash, but Trump did everything for us, even leading up to the election to continue to remind us that he was trash. If he would have ever took a pivot and accepted that COVID was a real thing and decided that he was going to actually be presidential because actually a pandemic is an alley-oop for any sitting president. As long as you act like you give a damn, you could have rolled the coattails of a pandemic doing the most, but acting like you gave a shit and he could have won. But that's not Trump. That's not who Trump is. Trump is, uh, he's an asshole. He is going to continue. He, he, continually fucked up all the way to the election in order for um, Joe Biden to win. But he he literally in the last hour had an opportunity to switch things up finally and become what folks wanted, presidential. He just chose not to. Um, so I think that, you know, it's not really the Democrats' fault. I really think it's about timing. Um, I think at this point, and because we know as consultants, we understand the party apparatus, it's really up to each individual candidate to do that work, right? We can't have direct conversations with PACs. We can't tell them where to put money. Um, but Republicans seem to me do a better job on the PAC level at when they do have money, knowing how to spend it and how to be on the attack to keep your attention. Um, maybe our PACs are pussy too. Um, but 
you know, I just I really don't think that it's the fault of the Democratic Party as a whole to not stay on message for Roe, because when they do get an opportunity to get on TV, they do talk about it. But I think individual races are doing better at having those discussions. You know, you got the Ohio race and the fact that, you know, the Democrat out out of Ohio is actually doing okay, And I think it's because he's staying, you know, he's drilling down a message um, you know, the Democrat out of Pennsylvania is doing okay right now um, against Mastriano. But again, Mastriano is a psycho and he says crazy things and he's attached to like, you know, Christian nationalist organizations that can be continually, you know, prodded. But I want to flag the fact that Keisha Lance Bottoms recently came out and said Democrats have a problem in Georgia because Black people are not excited to vote. And if it's happening in Georgia that way, the polls can be in our favor for Mark Kelly against a crazy kook in Arizona. But it, you know, should we even fucking trust the polls? Because the fucking polls told us we was up on Trump for, you know, for four, six years ago. And that was a lie too. So, you know, how do you, should we take those more localized voices seriously, like Akeisha Lance Bottoms? And I'm not really sure what the Democratic Party can do because I agree with you. We should be writing the coattails of rural. Those conversations are happening on a state level from what I can see through my own experience, but, the midterms is, is just not a presidential election and people are fucking sick of us in politics. So they really only like to tap in every four years. What, what do you think we can do to excite people on the issues that matter? And Roe is like a serious, that's some, that's some serious shit just because the decision has really opened up an opportunity for them to go after gay marriage. It's a way for them to go after contraceptive care and access to just birth control. Like this is a real thing. And you know, everyone, you're right. Everybody got, a lot of young people got really pissed off when Joe Biden got up there and said, the only way you can fix this is to vote. But then when we give you a majority and I, and we understand the numbers too. So, right. But like other people just don't understand that like we got a majority, but we don't. So when we give you that little bit of majority and you ain't trying to like play games like the Republicans would do, because if they had a one person majority in the city, they just be, they will be ramming it all through. Right. Like we've just now having a conversation about marijuana. Why has what, marijuana should have been should have been off the schedule one list the minute he came into office? Because there are things that he could have done, you know, Joe Biden could have done. But the man is like, the man is going to be like 86, four years from 90 if he runs again in two years. So like he is not stupid like Trump, but like it's off. He's he's old and it's off. And I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But they voted him in like 80, like 80 million people voted for the oldest man ever to go to the White House. Where, what can progressives do? What can Democrats even do about all of this? I mean, I think timing is everything, like you said, um, and the importance of hitting people heavy and hard. Right. We should have had agenda. We should have as a party had an agenda um, of things that we were going to be rolling out leading up to election. Every month we're hitting people with something, right? Row happened, we need to have a counter, another another thing, another thing, another thing. Marijuana, boom, rectifying that, boom. Like we wait too late to do things. And I also agree with you, right? You have this small majority and you didn't use that. Oh, sorry. 
um, they would have they would have railroaded us. And I think as Miles mentioned earlier, right, about like, you know, given the opportunity, we talk about winning, right? No matter what, we're going to stick together and we're going to go. There's this split even within the party of these people are too progressive, these people are moderate, these people are really conservative. Like, we don't have time to be playing these games when our party and our entire upper hand that we, the little upper hand that we have is at stake, right? Um, instead of really being able to use that, I think it's a problem. But I think also just like messaging, like, Sometimes we talk about things that like folks just really don't care about and we forget like the, 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 the small things. I think we've seen the local races here in Buffalo, right? Forgetting to talk about the small things that every everybody, their day-to-day lives are impacted with. We forget to mention those things, right? It's just, oh, well, you know, this big thing, boom. And then you don't hear about something for four months and another big thing, instead of just lining it up where we're just getting wins across the board, there should be another stimulus check that should have came out. There should have been more business funding that should have came out. They should just be going crazy right now giving and giving and giving as much as they can because honestly that's at this point that's that's the only thing that trump was able to at least do was buying people right here's a whole bunch of stimulus checks right and that helped him we're not it's like we're not smart enough to even play the same game even though we're watching it unfold right in front of us yeah i think another thing is which is it's not just the fault of the democratic party it's the it's the way that um the sort of like center left has operated since the end of like World War II. Like they are, what we've seen um, after the civil rights movement in 68, and especially um, after the Obama election in 2008, you saw the right really embrace populism. Sometimes it was a reluctant embrace. Um, like, you know, a lot of establishment Republicans were dragged along through the Tea Party and then, and then through the, the, the ascent of Trump. Um, in, in some cases, like in, in, in other countries, um, it's been more, more intentional, like in Italy, they just got the first, uh, uh, right wing, uh, prime minister elected since Mussolini, um, in Sweden last month, um, their left wing government fell, um, they, they, in, in Sweden, it fell because of a narrative that, you know, they had, uh, uh, too many asylum seekers, brown asylum seekers, and and too and and too little protection from um, uh, drug gangs um, from Morocco and other like countries, right? In in Italy, uh, the narrative is that you know Italians, white Italians, are struggling and they're taking on too many uh, uh, migrants from from Africa, right? Um, the the right though has 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 been willing; it has shown itself willing to engage in in real populist discourse. And that's why when we talk about populism on the left or in any kind of democratic circles, populism is, has a negative connotation, right? But there's a sort of a leftist populism too that we haven't tapped into. Um, and when we have tapped into it, we've won, right? Obama kind of tapped into some of that. FDR really tapped into that, right? Now on the left, populism is left to um, you know, communists who are who are useless and insufferable, um, but the rest of us don't really engage with you know our people, with our base. Um, the right, on the other hand, has been electing candidates that you'd like to have a beer with um, since the beginning of the century, right? And and so I think that's why you you don't have you have a problem with narrative because they don't either they don't understand the people that they need to be you know uh, delivering a narrative to or they really don't want those people too much engaged, right? They always keep, you know, you notice that Democrats are a lot more um, bold 
and a lot, a lot more aggressive when they're fighting progressives than they are when they're fighting Republicans, right? They, they really are afraid of uh, the, you know, the, the populism that exists on the left and they, they wanna keep it at arm's length. And because of that, they have either been afraid to or unwilling to come up with a narrative that will really keep people engaged and angry and going to the polls despite all kinds of opportunities to do so. Um, and until they fix that problem, which is a problem with the center left internationally, not just nationally, um, I think we're going to run into the same issues now. I have nothing to add. That was, that was everything. I know that's right. Okay, Miles, that was everything. <laughs> Can I also add something just because like, it was the topic of conversation we talked about it at, uh, at Congressional Black Caucus, uh, you know, last week or two weeks ago. Um, was that like there? We really also have to start really dealing with the issue of like white progressives. Like white progressives are coming into lots of communities of color during these times, telling us what's best for us, right? Trying to and then demoralizing us and telling us that we don't know, we don't know what we're talking about. We don't even know what's in our best interest and what we should be doing, instead of actually allowing us to uh, stand on values together. And I and I've been seeing this again, both in local, state, and federal races, where you start to see black voters being interested and being willing, and then white progressives kind of coming in and pushing them away because they feel like they need to tell them how to vote. Um, and this is starting to become a, a large issue, I think, on the left, um, with the left, um, is that you know a lot of our stuff, a lot of stuff like democratic socialism may actually align with the needs of our people, but we can't get into it because of the type of people that are coming to tell us about it um, and the way they, um, again, like they demoralize us if we don't agree, right? Oh, well, you don't know what you're talking about and, and how dare you, you need to vote for the best interests of your people. We don't trust white people to tell us how to vote or do anything because the history of this country has proven that y'all are not trustworthy. Um, y'all tell us what you think we need to hear um, or you force it down our throats. You don't know how to actually have a conversation and win us over. Um, and so I think also in this time is really the importance of having black consultants and people that actually have proper, proper understandings of what it is that the community needs to be in places to be able to control messaging and communications because it's clearly not happening um, with both the moderates and with the progressives. Just wanna add that. I got one more video to play with y'all because we've been talking about how Republicans keep it real and and say and say what they gotta say and mean what they say. So I'm about to play you this clip. This is uh, Representative. What I got? What I got? What I got? Hold on. I know I got her name somewhere. My spirit feels exactly what you're about to play. Go on. You know, you know I'm about to play it. I know, you know exactly what you're about to play. Because, you know, they just, they don't really sugarcoat the shit. So I'm going to just go ahead and play Miss Rep, Rep Mary out of Illinois. I don't got her name, but we about to play what she said about Roe and, and the great job Donald Trump did on making sure that we got a 6-3 conservative court. On behalf of all the MAGA patriots in America, I want to thank you for the historic victory for white life in the Supreme Court yesterday. Stop. That's it. That's all. That's all I got for the clip because she said everything we knew. 
everything we know about here. So it's Rep. Mary Miller out of Illinois. She's a state rep. And she blatantly said she's excited that they overturned Roe because she wanted to protect white lives and white babies. We all know, and we've been saying for years, that the census is showing that eventually people of color will outnumber white Americans in this country. Abortion gets in the way of that. Access for white women gets in the way of that. Um, and she kept it 100. She tried to backtrack it after, but no one bought it and no one talked about her backtrack because we believed her the first time. So as we have this, as we have this conversation about Roe, you know, Candace Owens has talked about how abortion is terrible for black women and how a lot of black women abort black, or, you know, abort black babies. But, uh, you know, we can have a whole podcast about why we make decisions to do what we want when we want to in regards to family planning, right? Like that's a whole other conversation. But for them, you know, even white women having access to it is a problem because there should be more of them. What say any of you on that topic? I mean, you know, as a person with a uterus, uh, <laughs> and as a mom and as someone who has fertility issues, just thinking of like all the things that could go wrong during pregnancy, right? And the importance of having safe abortions, um, um, especially especially medical um, conditions concerned. Somebody has to be a scapegoat in society, right? Black people are kind of like being able to kind of position ourselves in positions of power. And they're like, oh my God, we've been focusing on scapegoating black people, even though the issue is classism that white rural and poor white people have bought into, even though they're in the same boat that we're in, that now they're like, oh my God, we're losing population. And God forbid if this is another way for control, because if we don't have enough of them, then we're really outnumbered. And then what are we going to do to be able to uphold white supremacy, right? Um, and the fact that poor white and rural voters aren't thinking with that same sentiment, like what would you mean protecting white life? We need to have more people. What do y'all, what do you mean you're controlling this because you want us to be around for what? Should be the question, right? Why do y'all, why do you find our lives so valuable all of a sudden? Why are we all of a sudden the focus... Um, when initially they were saying, you know, it's about black babies and protecting all babies and all lives and all that stuff. I would, as I mean, I know we talk about intellectual capacity, um, but I would be concerned. Like, why, why are you worried about population of us and our demographics, particularly? What do you mean that we're, you know, and this is going to save our lives, right? Um, knowing that the conditions of this world and of this country in particular don't care about life after it's being, we don't even care about life as they're being born into this world, right? We talk about maternal rates, um, all types of health and birth issues because of environment, but yet we care about the actual caring to term just to deliver these babies to come into a terrible world that doesn't care about them anyways. But I digress. Yeah, I I, I Kartika, what you said reminded me of uh, like this joke that George Carlin said about Republicans and, and abortion. He said, you know, they they really care about you. He said, from some from zero to nine months, you're fine, and from zero to ninety, you're fucked, right? I mean, but I but I think also the the sort of you know 
the politics and the reasoning for things on the left, we, and, and by left, I'm talking about from middle of center all the way left, we like talk about stuff a lot, right? Like the Republicans, their, their kind of political analysis and the right-wing political analysis is a little more sophisticated sometimes than we get to give it credit for, I think. They, they have been concerned about um, falling fertility rates among white folks for decades now. This isn't something that they just started worrying about, right? This is something that they're seeing. Part of the reason they have uh, immigration issues in Europe, right, is because they brought in uh, immigrants from other parts of the world because of, you know, aging populations um, in Europe to replace their workforce. And the same thing has happened uh, in the U.S. Um, but if you listen to like, right, I do a lot of like, I, I listen to a lot of like right wing media just for like opposition research. This narrative of uh, white folks being kind of outbred by black and brown people in this country, this narrative of them losing their culture and their, their civilization to, you know, black and brown hordes, right? Uh, this is a this is a, a a common narrative, and so when she said, you know, thank you, President Trump, for protecting white lives, a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of those people understood exactly what she was saying, and they've been on that type of time for a minute, you know. So a lot of those folks who we would say, well, why aren't they questioning? They made up that you know their minds. A lot of them that their lives were really important and that they were, you know, afraid of being outnumbered by us a long time ago. That's why they are so virulently, virulently against um, immigration. That's why, you know, they, they don't care when black people get killed by the police because one more dead black person is, you know, it helps their numbers, right? This is the same culture that came up with manifest destiny and decided that, you know, you know, the Nazis talked about what was it, Lebensraum, I think, or living space when they annexed Czechoslovakia and Eastern Europe. But, but white folks in this country came up with that, right? That was their thing, right? Before it was living space, it was called manifest destiny. And they cleared out a whole continent so that they would have, you know, that they would be able to exercise their divine right to, to populate the earth. So this is, this is a, a philosophy that has very old and deep roots. Um, and this, this kind of particular facet of white supremacy um, is, is coming back into fashion now that uh, their populations are getting older um, and, and are, you know, uh, um, I don't want to use the word replaced because um, that kind of sets them off as we saw in Charlottesville. Um, but as their, you know, their, their, their numbers um, are going down and, and black and brown folks are still um, frustratingly fertile to them. And so they're hoping that, you know, abortion will kind of cure that. Although it, it would be interesting to see you know, uh, how many of these kids, um, what they grow up like, you know, knowing that their moms never wanted to have them and that they were forced to by the government. I, I'd be curious to see what side they end up on, but, yeah. Yeah, I really don't have anything substantive to add. I will say, though, that the credit should be given to Mitch McConnell and not Donald Trump. It was really his brilliance that secured that Supreme Court majority and not Donald Trump. I agree 100%. He, he plays to win. Dejan, she did it to me too. Kenna, you muted my homeboy over there. I can tell. He, I, I, un I unmuted it though. She sure muted me. That was just Didn't I unmute it? <laughs> I thought I went and unmuted it again because I seen that I did that. And then she started her closing spill. It's all, it's all right. We can go ahead and end it. I, I was not. Um, but 
Thank God this is being edited. I but will just quote time. Mitch McConnell is, a, is an evil genius. He's, he's, evil. He's, he's evil, but he is brilliant. Yes. Yeah. And it's right for an evil common enemy, so. Yeah. Yeah. Him and his lack of chin. What he lacks in chin, he makes up in brain. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, child, the editor gonna have fun with this. Does I'm having a blue But does he resemble Emperor Palpatine to any of you? I think if he lives another 20 years, yes. Yes. <laughs> the editor. <laughs> Yeah, because Natalie Nunn could share her chin with him and then they'd be even. Oh, you went for it. It is what it is. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, as I pivot to the final question, folks, because this has been a real spicy conversation, and Miles is the winner on potential um, titles for this uh, podcast. So there's a few little zingers, he said, that, that I had to write down. Um, but my question for all of you is what do you think is at stake uh, for this upcoming election? Why is it so important? Okay, so on January 6th of 2021, we narrowly avoided a fascist fucking coup, okay? And now uh, it's, it's like a year and a half later and we might vote these fuckers back into office. Like what the fuck is wrong with you people, the American people? Like that, that's what's at stake here really is, you know, uh, we've seen, you know, the beer hall putsch and now we're waiting for the Nazis to take over the Reichstag. I mean, that's, that's where we are uh, historically, right? And um, yeah, so there's quite a bit at stake. Um, as we, you know, we just talked about with Mitch McConnell, if the Republicans have control of one um, um, house, of the legislature. Uh, they can do a lot of damage. They are way more aggressive and they play to win, uh, unlike Democrats. Um, and so we cannot give them an inch. Um, and if we do, um, you know, we, we are not that far away from seeing babies put in cages at the border and, you know, a president who wanted to, um, who, who asked the military about the, 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 the sort of um, the, the feasibility of gunning down uh, Black Lives Matter protesters in Washington, D.C. That's the kind of government that we, we are on the way to getting back. We're already seeing in states where they control, um, women have had their right to bodily autonomy taken away. Um, children are being taught alternate versions of history uh, that comport with their uh, white supremacist leanings. I mean, that is what's at stake. Um, and, and, and frankly, the fact that uh, anybody has to convince anyone in this country to get off their asses and vote is, is infuriating. Um, but as political consultants, that's our job. So, um, you know, for all, for all of these folks who are uh, doing GOTV uh, this year, I, I hope that y'all understand how important this shit is because a lot is at stake. Um, I know that people say that every year, um, but in these last, uh, you know, few election cycles with the rise of fascism in this country, it is becoming more and more important um, that we stop them everywhere. Anybody else? Oh, he petty. Go ahead, John. Floor's on you. Floor's uh, yours. Well, and since you're already speaking, go ahead. The editor gonna be like, "What the hell's wrong with these people?" Um, I'm just echoing everything that Miles said. I think 
um, literally our lives are at stake. And I've been saying over the past couple of years, I mean, especially since, you know, Trump won the, you know, his election, our li- our actual lives are at stake. Like we don't actually have the time and capacity to wait. Um, I mean, we're literally watching women's rights being taken away. And then it's like, we're like slowly rolling back all the rights, right? Um, who knows if we lose this midterm election and God forbid in two years, we get a Republican president, God forbid Donald Trump again. Like, what would that look like for us? And I don't really think we want to fathom uh, what it looks like for black and brown folks, what it looks like for immigrant and refugees, what it looks like for people in the mental health field, because I don't think anybody has anything left to give at this point, what it'll look like for mass shootings and school shootings, what it could look like for women, what it could look like for gay people. Like, I mean, if you fall into any category that is not a straight white man, really, um, your life is at stake. And for the white women who continue to uphold white supremacy, it ain't only but so long before y'all be a target of something. Um, and so I think, you know, we have to we have to start looking at it from all angles at this point. I think we lost our host, uh, but uh, I think the question sort of needs to be reframed. Uh, every time an election comes around, we say, what's at stake in this election? The fact of the matter is anytime there's an election, our entire lives is, are at stake. Um, you know, we talked a bit about Dobbs and how that decision hints at a possible overturning of Obergefell, which legalized gay marriage uh, across the country or um, doing away with uh, the right to uh, obtain contraceptives. Um, you know, we, I think the case that Miles outlined is, is very real. Uh, folks don't realize how close we are to a Republican um, majority, not just in the, the federal level, but across states to the point that they could hypothetically uh, create constitutional amendments and pass it on a one party line. Like we are at this point in history where I think ultimately the fate of our democracy, this little experiment is truly at stake. We've said that time and time again in the past, but this is one of the moments where it's never been more clear. I mean, January 6th was a nightmare and I really don't want to see something like that happen again. But what I think people are missing is that the next time January 6th happens, it'll be quiet it'll be done by those in power. And so to prevent that, we really just need to turn out to vote. Not just this election, every election. Listen, I was sitting there muting myself for that 20 seconds. Isn't that fitting? Seeing that I can't mute other people. Um, Well, listen, um, this was an awesome conversation. I'm so excited that I was able to invite you all on this podcast and also, you know, be able to get an hour of your busy schedules because I know how important all of you are. Um, So again, I just want to say thank you to all three of you for hopping on this podcast. Um, I'm excited about starting it the way we did today. Like this is just an awesome conversation. And I think that you know, what I've got planned for the rest of this podcast going to be lit because uh, we started and we got it popping early. So, um, yeah, thank you to all my listeners for even considering listening to another podcast. Of course, this is a mini series, a spinoff of Citizen the Pod. Um, and I'm excited to do this as we get ready to, uh, you know, walk into November 8th and 
you know, as, as stated so wonderfully by my guest, like the state of this union uh, is really, uh, will, can, will really take a shift depending on who is pulling the levers of power in Congress um, on November 9th and not even November 9th, on January, sometime in January when they decide to swear in the new Congress. So I'm excited for all of you to hear what I have um, going on next. I want you to uh, keep it spicy. That's going to be my closing for this, uh, you know, for this podcast. I want all of y'all to keep it spicy and keep it spicy means fight for what you want, be who you want to be, make decisive decisions and be a part of be a part of the process because if you're not there then we get nowhere so thank you all for joining my first episode of citizen the pods mini series argue with your mama not me um i will make sure i tag all of my um guests so y'all all can follow them um y'all know y'all can follow me on instagram at kina's on on facebook at kina's on and on twitter at Kina Zontel and Citizen the Pod. And I'm trying to figure out how I can do a TikTok called Argue With Your Mama, Not Me, but I signed in with my Gmail account. That is too much information and this might get edited by uh, the editor, but <laughs> if it's in there, it's in the blooper section. So thank y'all so much for hopping on and have a good week. Until next time, bye.